You may be seated. Amen. It's good to see you guys this morning. We've been in a series uh, called All I Want for Christmas. And uh, we've talked about the first week, we talked about peace. All I want for Christmas is peace. All I want for Christmas last week, we talked about um, joy. And uh, today we're going to talk about hope. And uh, we've been, I've used songs because this time of year is, is um, just things, there are certain songs that just connect with me. There are certain things that I think of when I think of Christmas. And music is one of them, right? You know, you think of lights, you think of trees, you think of uh, gifts. You, there are a lot of things that when you say the word Christmas, there are certain things that comes to mind, right? Um, namely, that should be Jesus, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, and, and many of these things, um, these songs that, that we think about, they do. They, they, they point us to Christ. And uh, this one song in particular, when I hear it, it is not one that I always just listen to, but when I hear it, uh, it just kind of evokes some feelings in me. And uh, there was a guy that uh, lived about 260 years ago. His name was George Frederick Handel. Did I say that right? I said Frederick last night, and Raina looked, and she said it's Frederick. So, all right, George Frederick Handel. Uh, and, um, but he composed uh, this, uh, I'm going to butcher this, an oratory? Oratorio, there we go. She's a music person in the family, all right? Um, and he composed this oratorio, which an oratorio is, is a little bit different than an opera. An opera is set to stage and almost there's this kind of this production that goes with it. An oratorio is more musical, and it is uh, more specifically religious music. And so he composed um, what we know as the Messiah. Anybody you, you, you know the Messiah? Not just, not just the Messiah as in Jesus, but when I'm um, talking about this song or this, this, uh, this moratorio uh, called the Messiah. And I want to play just a, a short clip. This is, might help you if you don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, well, never mind. <laughs> All right, this is, what, this is what it sounds like. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. All right, there you go. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, it sounds much better than that when they play it and you, you hear it. Uh, somebody really knows what they're doing with it, and I just butchered that. But that's it. You know what I'm talking about now, right? Okay, all right, great. Uh, even through butchering it, you know what I'm talking about. That's good. Well, the thing is, this is a piece that um, gets played, gets sung, is performed uh, at Christmas all around the world. And um, it is is hugely popular. Um, and it is it is famous and Handel basically he took all the proceeds that he made from it because it it became a famous piece even in his day um, he made a lot of money off of this and he took all the proceeds from this uh, this composition and he sent to a debtor's prison and paid the debts of everyone in that prison so that they could be released and if you look at Handel's Messiah you'll realize that it's basically scripture, um, that about 60% of the, of the lyrics come from the Old Testament. Now, Handel himself only composed the music. 
he did not write the lyrics. And so that brings us to another guy that you probably have never heard of. His name is Charles Jennings. And Charles Jennings is, or is the one, uh, he's the one who would have written the lyrics to this. Um, and it's interesting that a lot of these people that we talk about, when we talk about these songs at Christmas, um, that they had a lot of things going on. And so we talked a little bit last week about a guy who wrote a song called Joy to the World, and it seemed like he was trying to find joy and didn't fi have a lot of joy. It's the same with Mr. Jennings here, that he penned the lyrics uh, and used mostly scripture to, to bring the lyrics about to Handel's Messiah, and he was dealing with Great Depression. He said he dealt with depression all through throughout his life, and it really stemmed from um, his brother committed suicide, uh, and it just kind of spun him out. And so it seems like many of these Christmas songs and many, many, much of this music is composed and written during times of struggle. It is, it is composed during times of difficult experiences. And if you remember, we've been starting with the premise that Christmas has a tendency to magnify the season you're already in. And it seems like, you know, during this time, if you're feeling joy, it's, you know, just ramped up. And it can be that if you feel depressed, you may feel more depressed during this time for various reasons. And, and so this is just interesting to me that when you start looking at the music, you start looking at the composition, you start looking at the people who wrote it, that they all have their struggles. And it's maybe through this music uh, maybe in spite of what they're feeling, in spite of what's going on, that they're writing this music and they're reaching out and they're reaching out for something more. And we talked about peace and we've talked about joy, that, that maybe I'm not feeling joyful, but I'm reaching out for joy. And today we want to talk about maybe that sense of hope, that you're struggling with having hope and you're reaching out for that. And so when you say, all I want for Christmas, it doesn't have anything to do with gifts and presents. Maybe what you're wanting is, I want some hope. Or maybe I want some peace. Or maybe you do want joy. And these are the things that we truly reach out for. And so I want us to go today to a passage that doesn't normally get read during uh, Christmas season. I want us to go to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Jeremiah 29, 11. Come on, guys. How many of you know Jeremiah 29, 11? Jeremiah 29, 11 is one that has been put on T-shirts and coffee cups and plaques, and many of you may have Jeremiah 29, 11 hanging on your wall, sitting on your coffee table, someplace, somewhere, you have this, this scripture reference, and uh, so can you just put Jeremiah 29, says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare, plans not for evil, but to give you what a future and a hope, God wants to give you hope. Now, it's interesting that we know Jeremiah 29, 11, and people will quote Jeremiah 29, 11, and we'll talk about Jeremiah 29, 11, but we hardly ever read what comes before Jeremiah 29, 11. We don't read 1 through uh, 10, and I do want to read that this morning because I want to give you the context of what this is written in. Why is God saying, I have plans for a future and a hope for you? What are they experiencing? Because Jeremiah is writing this, and he's a prophet to Judah, and Judah has basically been carried off into Babylon, and it's been exiled, and things have been destroyed, and, and people are not in a good spot. The, people have been killed. People have been 
uh, taken as prisoners and they're captive. And so this is kind of the context. This is kind of what Jeremiah is is couched in this 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 chapter twenty nine. And I want to read this. Beginning in verse 1, it says, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving, which means that there were some who did not survive, right? To the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests and to the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother and the eunuchs and the officials of Judah and Jerusalem and the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent at the hand of Elshai, the son of Shaphan and Gariah, the son of Hilkiah and Zedekiah, the king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on behalf of its welfare that you will find, uh, find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, that the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners whom are among you deceive you and do not listen to their dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for wholeness and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. That is the context. The context is this. Is that you had people, you had false prophets who were saying, listen, this exile is going to be short-lived. We're going to be back before you know it. Two years. Two years we're going to be back, back in Jerusalem. God spoke through Jeremiah and said, listen, that's a lie. Actually, where you're going to be, you're going to be here for a while. So because you're going to be here for a while, go ahead and build houses. Go ahead and, and marry. Go ahead and have children. Go ahead and plant your crops. Go ahead and be involved in the life of the city that you were exiled in and pray for the welfare of that city because you're going to be here for a while. Anybody do you hate waiting? I hate waiting. And see what God is telling them. He says, listen, you're going to have to wait. This isn't the microwave version of exile. You're not out in two minutes, you know. And even for us, sometimes our popcorn has got to be even quicker than that, right? You've got to have the 30-second popcorn in the smaller bag because two minutes is too long. And, and God is saying, you're going to be here for a while. And there's some of us in here, we understand what that, that feels like because maybe we've been in a place for a while. Maybe we've been waiting for a while. Maybe we know what waiting is like. And see, this is the people of God. This is what the people of God, how they learn to hope is in the waiting. It's in the waiting that we learn to hope. See, hope is this. Hope is a state of anticipation and expectation. That's what hope is. Hope is a state of anticipation and expectation. And in the Bible, 
there are some words that get connected with hope, but two words in particular that get translated as hope. And I want to share those with you today. The first word is the word yakal. It is, uh, it is a word that gets translated as hope. It gets translated as to wait. It gets translated as to expect. There's an expectation. This is a word, the Hebrew word, that gets translated a lot of times in places where it's talking about my hope, yakal. There's another word, kevah. Kevah is um, this uh, word. It means to wait. It means to look for. But it also can mean to gather, almost like, uh, like water gathers together. We gather water or collect water in a place into a reservoir. And so uh, this word gets translated for that. But what's interesting about these two words is they kind of, one means to wait. The other has this idea to wait as well. But it has a root word, and the root word for that is keva or keva, uh, which it means cord. And I want to—I got a rope here today, so uh, Kobe, come here. Yeah, I know you're wanting to do this. Come here, come up here. You don't have a choice. You're my kid, so I want you to take that into the rope. Now, the cord is this—this this idea of cord. Um, it, they used a cord. They didn't have measuring tapes. They didn't have, like, these measuring tapes you'd pull out and measure stuff. So they had to have to use a rope, basically, that they would measure things with. And so that's what this means. This is this idea, this root word is uh, the idea of a cord. But a cord also, and I want you to hold it tight, Kobe, because what happens is when you pull it tight, what happens? It puts tension on the rope. It puts tension on the cord. And how in the world does this idea of cord get translated as hope? Because this is the picture of where people are living. This is the picture of the people who are living in exile. They are living in the tension, waiting for something to happen, right? When you're holding this cord and you're holding on to something with tension, you're just waiting for something to happen, right? Yesterday, me and Cannon were cleaning out. Me and Cannon and Kobe were cleaning out. Thank you. Cleaning out... Um, kind of our side yard and Cannon was pulling all these vines and he couldn't get one I said hang on I said let me help you and so I grabbed hold of it too and with all my body weight that that thing came loose right well I let go and the tension uh slacked up and Cannon went tumbling backwards and and fell on his uh gluteus maximus okay and that is the idea is that when you have the tension on the rope at some point, you're waiting for the release. And it's said, like, why is that a picture of hope? Well, I think it's a picture of hope because it gives a very good picture of where many of us live. We live in the tension. We live in the tension. We live in the tension between what has happened and what is going to happen. See, hope is more than optimism. Optimism is um, positive thinking, basically. Um, it is kind of we cross our fingers and you know what we can close our eyes and kind of wish that's how we that's how we use hope I hope I hope I hope I hope I hope I win a million dollars right you know that's kind of how we use hope Uh, we hope that you know I'm going to get something good for Christmas right Um, and so we use it in the sense of kind of wishing for good things to happen and hope is more than optimism hope is um is, is a lot deeper than that. And optimism within it is basically just positive thinking. But optimism has a tendency to deny reality. That's what optimism sometimes has a tendency to do. It has a tendency to deny where you're really at. 
Oh, just be positive about that. You just need to have, put a smile, turn that frown upside down and put a smile on, right? It's almost like you're trying to psych yourself up. You ever been there? You know, where you know the reality of where you're at. You know what you feel. You know what everything looks like around you. You know that things actually just probably aren't good. And you're, I'm, just, I'm just trying to be positive. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to tell myself good things. See, optimism can deny reality. That's not what hope is. Biblical hope is different. Biblical hope is, is different in this way. Hope lives in the reality of struggles, but holds on to the reality of salvation. And that is this tension. That is the tension in this rope. This is what, why hope is defined, and, and you can picture it as the tension on a rope. It's because there's, there's, you're being pulled maybe in a lot of different directions. But you're hoping that on the other end, you know what? God, you've got something better. That's where the people of Israel or the people who uh, were from Judah that were exiled to Babylon, that's where they were at. They were in the tension of, God, you're going to be here a while. But we're hoping that you're going to meet us at the end of the rope. And see, isn't that where we're at? Our hope is that God meets us on the other end of our rope. That as we're in this tension, as we're in this place where we're just struggling, there is hope. So we live in the struggles, and we live in the tension of our struggles. But there is a reality, because if we look at Jeremiah 14, I want us to go just a few chapters back, Jeremiah 14. This is what they're feeling. This is Jeremiah. This is what he's writing. Jeremiah 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 19 says, Have you utterly rejected Judah? Does your soul loathe Zion? Who's he writing to? He's asking God. God, have you forgotten us? Have you rejected us? Why have you struck us down so that there is no healing for us? We looked for peace, but no good came. For a time of healing, behold, Terah. We acknowledge our wickedness, O Lord, and our iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. Do not spurn us for your name's sake. Do not dishonor your glorious throne. Remember and do not break your covenant with us. Are there any among the false gods of the nations that can bring rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Are you not he, O Lord our God? And then he goes on the last thing that he says right here. He says, we set our hope on you for you do all these things what's he doing what's he doing he is reminding himself of who god is he sees the reality around him and so hope is not saying this is not happening this is not happening and christians sometimes we have a tendency to do that we try to psych ourselves out and we try to this is not happening to me god you're going to do something god this you're not going to let the and sometimes bad things happen Sometimes the things that we don't want to happen are the things that we are thrust into. And, and it's in those moments that we have this tension. This is where the, we're living in the tension of the rope. But that's exactly where God meets us. He says, yeah, you're going to be here for a while. Yeah, it's not a great place. But I am at the end of the rope. But I am on the other end of this thing. And see, that's where Jeremiah is at. He's feeling every feeling deeply. But he ends with this. He says, we set our hope on you for you do these things. 
what Jeremiah does is he reminds himself of who God is. See, hope lives in the tension, and every one of us will experience that tension at some point. But every one of us also gets a choice in the tension of how we'll respond. See, although every one of us, we're going to be thrust into the tension, we get a choice of how we will respond to that tension. We get a choice of how we'll respond. And so I want to respond with hope, and I want to respond biblically. And what does that look like? Biblical hope is informed by the past as we look forward to the future. How does that help us? This is what Jeremiah is doing. He says, listen, I have to be reminded, God, of who you are. And if you go read Lamentation, and I've read this uh, to you before, Lamentation chapter 3, and I didn't give you the scripture, but I want you to go read it. Lamentation chapter 3, and I think it's verse 21, somewhere around verse 20, 21, 22. Jeremiah is writing, he says, I remember all this stuff. I remember these feelings of gall and bitterness. He says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, that because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For your mercies are new and fresh every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I remind myself of who you've been in the past. Because you're not only the God who is in my future, holding on to the rope in my future. When I look back, you have been the God that has been holding the rope in my past too. And you're the God on either side of the tension that I'm living in. And so for Jeremiah, he He sees this and he reminds himself, see, future hope is informed by the patterns set in the past. Future hope is informed. If I'm going to have any hope for the future, I have to remember that God has revealed himself in the past as the God who is faithful and the God who is loving and the God who has good plans for his people. And so when we we remind ourselves of this, we can think like the psalmist in Psalmist 62 and 5. Can you put that up there, Psalm 62? and says, for God alone... Oh, my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. And what he's doing is he's reminding himself. He's saying, God, this is who you've been. This is who you, 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 you are, and this is who you're always going to be. And so whether I'm, I'm living in the good times of Jerusalem on the good side of the rope, There's going to be a day where I'm on the other side. There's going to be a day when I'm in the tension. There's going to be a day when it seems like things are difficult and experiences are not as good as what I'd like them to be. See, hope is not just wishing for for a good future. It is the pattern set by a faithful past and a present divine strength. That's what hope is. It is the pattern set by a faithful past and the presence of divinity surrounding you and saying, listen, you're going to be here for a while, but I'm with you, and I have a plan for you, and you are not alone. I have not kicked you out. I have not left you alone. I am with you, and I have a plan for you. So Isaiah 40, chapter 31, this is what it says. Love this. It says, but they who, what? Wait. That is the same word. They who hope. They who wait. They who, you call. But they who wait for the Lord shall what? Shall renew. In the waiting, I can be renewed. In the waiting, 
I can feel strength, for they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Because even in the tension, God can be our strength. Hebrews 13 and 8. This is, this is why it makes so much difference because everything that we've talked about, we talked about peace and we talked about joy and we talked about hope. These are not just feelings. It's not just something you get from God. It is God. This is who God is. Peace is a person. Joy is a person. Hope is a person. Who is that person? It is the person of Jesus. And that's why Christmas is so meaningful. That's why Christmas means so much for us is because hope broke through into our darkness and into our tension and says, I am Emmanuel. I am God with you right now. I am the God who has loved you in the past. I am with you now, giving you strength, and I am the God who is planning a great future for you. And so when we look at Hebrews 13 and 8, can you put that up there? What does it say? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's at every point in the road. He's at every point in the tension. He started this thing. He's going to finish it. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. And He is everywhere along the way on that continuum of our tension in the road. I want to ask somebody to come play. See, what you hope for shapes what you live for. What you hope for shapes what you live for. So what are you hoping for? My recommendation and my suggestion and, and my encouragement to you today is hope for Jesus. Don't hope for riches. Don't hope for, for anything other than, than Jesus. Jesus, you are my hope. Jesus, you are that which steps into my... And because of Jesus, when I seek Him, when I seek the Father, I can have everything else. But if I seek everything else and try to forget Jesus, I have nothing. And so when I say I set my hope on you, what I'm hoping for, I'm hoping for Jesus because you are hope. What you hope for shapes what you live for. There is a picture that I have on my computer desktop. And basically this is it. This is my computer desktop. It's just a C.S. Lewis quote. And I want to be reminded, when I come across it, I, I wanted to be reminded, you know what? There are far, far better things ahead than anything that I leave behind. And, and I want to be reminded every day when I sit down at my desk, no matter what has happened, no matter what I have been through, no matter what I have experienced, this is just scratching the surface. There's such greater things ahead. Such better things ahead. I want you to stand with me this morning. Because listen, I, I don't know everybody's story, 